This morning I'd like to begin in Hebrews chapter 5. Beginning in verse 11. Chapter 5 and verse 11 of Hebrews. Of whom we have much to say, but hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the work of righteousness. He's a baby. But solid food belongs to those who are of a full age, or mature. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. New American Standard says let us move on to maturity not laying again the foundation of repentance of dead works and of faith toward God, doctrine of baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection, and eternal life, <clears throat> eternal judgment, so forth. As Paul was writing this to the Hebrews, he was confronting them for their lack of maturity. And he says, you need someone to again come back to you. He says, You've, you've been in the faith long enough that you should be teachers, but now you need someone to come along and teach you again the basic principles of Christ. Relay the foundation again. False teachers, confusion of all kinds at that time. And he's saying, it's assumed that this is Paul. I said Paul, but it's assumed. Some assume that this is Paul wrote this, whoever wrote it. And so, he talks here about those who are immature, the only can handle the milk of the word. But he says, but solid food belongs to those who are full age or mature. And he says, that is, who by reason of use or you reason of practice, they have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil by putting into practice the Word of God. They, as you use the Word of God and you put it into practice in your life, it builds you up to become mature, to be able to discern good and evil. And so then he goes on, he says, in, the, in verse, verse 1 of the next chapter, 
leaving the discussion of the foundational teachings, he said, let us go on to maturity, or move on to maturity. And that's the aim of the Holy Spirit in our life, is not that we stay immature, that we stay where we are, or should we be satisfied to stay where we are? Because that's not the direction that the Holy Spirit is leading. If we're following the leading of the Holy Spirit, it's as the writer of Hebrews says, let us move on to maturity. Let us grow up. I remember as a kid in the world, as I was in the world, when you got frustrated with somebody acting immaturely like we were as kids, I remember my older brothers and sisters or my parents sometimes saying, grow up, you know, like, what are you doing? Grow up, would you? And... Of course, that was said in kind of a derisive way. And God's not saying it in that way, but He's also telling us, who we're reading here, that He doesn't want us to stay where we are, wherever we are, but to move on to maturity. And He says... In, in 5.11, at the end of it, he says, you become dull of hearing. You're not ready to hear these things of strong meat, of maturity. He says, you need someone to tell you, again, the basics of Christ. He said, because they come dull of hearing. You hear all these teachings about how we should be this and how we should be that as a Christian, but after a while, we can just kind of tune it out. Like, the people that he's writing to here. They become dull of hearing. Jesus said that about his own disciples who he was training. Have you become dull of hearing? And so we have to sharpen our hearing, so to speak, to listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit so that we grow up and follow that leading to maturity. So we go on to the next book, James chapter 1. James 1, 2. My brothers... Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience or endurance. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect. That word is also translated mature. Is that word maturity again? Mature and lacking nothing. This is something we've talked about often. And we want to be mature. We, we should want to be mature Christians. I mean, if we're, you know, want to do God's will, we, we, we should want to desire to be mature. But then he gets here in this, what we just read in James, he puts his finger right on how we become mature. This is how we grow up. That when trials 
and temptations and all kinds of things come into our life to challenge us that we don't push panic buttons. That we don't freak out. That we don't lose our cool. That we don't go into a, a temper fit or a rage or anything else. That we maintain the peace of God in our hearts. The Bible says in Colossians, let the peace of God rule in your heart. Rule over it. Rule over our hearts. And it says let, it means it's a decision that we make. And that we have to make continually. And we let the peace of God rule in our hearts through faith. The peace of God comes through faith. Faith in the promises of God. Faith in the things that God has told us. Faith that He's going to answer our prayers. That's where peace comes from. Believing the good report. That, we've been talking about these things. Let the peace of God rule in our hearts. Because if we do, that's how we grow up. It says right here that when our faith is tested, it helps us to grow up in patience, maturity, completion. We become complete in Christ this way. They say, well, I feel like the disciples on the boat sometimes, where Jesus is sleeping, and the water and the waves and the storm and everything coming in the boat, and, 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 they're, and, it's, and it's, they're afraid they're going to drown. And you can imagine it being such a fearsome sight. And Jesus, they wake him up, and Jesus says to them, where's your faith? Why do you doubt, O oh, you of little faith? I say, well, this is not real. Yeah, that's that's different than what we're used to doing in our in our nature. But that's how Jesus responds to them because he shows them where he wants them to be. So when I'm done, you this is the place you're going to be. And didn't that happen? Peter denies Jesus three times. He goes away weeping. All the disciples abandon Jesus when he's arrested. But look what happens later. Peter doesn't deny Jesus before the Sanhedrin when he's pulled before them. But he is as bold as a lion. And he says, it's yous. Yous murdered the Christ. He says, Jesus is the Son of God. He was not afraid. He was bold as a lion and cool as a cucumber. And He was threatened and He rejoiced when He left Him and the rest of the disciples. They moved on to maturity. No more panic buttons. When Peter was imprisoned by Herod, after James the Apostle had his head cut off, Peter's in prison, chained between two soldiers. It says an angel had to wake him up. That means he was sleeping. He wasn't sitting there, you know, panicking and 
and sweating and everything else, who's sleeping? What would we be doing if we knew that the next day we were going to be pulled out and possibly the same fate that the other apostle James had? Herod was planning to bring him out. No doubt that he had him like he had done to James. And yet he had enough peace to sleep. Think about it. He had moved on to he was moving on to maturity. Maturity you didn't see before the resurrection and the ascension and Pentecost. Mm. So what all this means is that our life where things are getting us making our heart beat a little faster. Things that give us anxiety attacks or almost anxiety attacks or things that make us short of breath. Uh, those things are what God is using or trying to use to bring us to maturity. And so we shouldn't look at them that way. We should respond differently. It's a different way of looking at problems in life. And the scary things in life. David said at one point, he was a fugitive, and him and his men, and their wives and their children, are on the run. Continually. Being chased by an army, Saul, King Saul and his men. His own countrymen are trying to kill him. The king leading them. You know what it's like to continually be on the move as a fugitive, trying to move wives and children too? It's one thing to be alone, just men, soldiers moving from place to place. But you're moving wives and children and all the baggage and all the necessities and all the supplies and all the food. You're not moving very fast. And at one point, it says they were going around the mountain and David and his, and his men and his wives and his children on one side of the mountain and King Saul was on the other side of the mountain. And of course, all of a sudden, no surprise, uh, Saul gets, King Saul gets a message saying the Philistines have attacked. And he has to abandon. Right on this one side of the mountain, and David and his men, he had been chasing them for a couple of years. All of a sudden. And David said at one point, I feel like there's a step between me and death. And sometimes... You know, I can say for myself, I feel like, I feel that way sometimes when some of the things that are happening in my life, it feels like, you know, just continually on the edge of just all these assaults on my life and everything. And what am I going to do? I can either panic and, and, and continue to, you know, let all this stuff overwhelm me. Or I can look at these things through the eyes of faith. And it helps me to grow up. To be the man that God wants me to be. And that's what His plan is for each of us. To move on to maturity. To be the people that He's called us to be. Men and women that God has called us to be. Brothers and sisters who are mature. That don't have to keep on being brought through a process you know, this, this process that was talked about in Hebrews. 
of having to just continually be, you know, given milk, but moved on to maturity. And we're in that process, I believe. We are in that process of moving on to maturity. But we can't be complacent and satisfied where we are. That's the worst thing we can do, no matter where we feel like we are. If we feel like we, we're kind of getting there, and we're, we kind of feel like we're getting close, we can feel a little complacent, a little satisfied, and get a little careless and sloppy. And we can go backwards. Our maturity can certainly go backwards. <clears throat> I've seen it happen. That you may be mature and complete and lacking nothing. What is what does it mean to what is it like what does that look like a mature Christian? What is that what it how does how does that look? If we look at somebody who's a mature Christian, what does that look like? Try to visualize what that would be. It would be somebody who when problems and come in like a flood, like happened with David at Ziklag, where his all the wives and children of, of, the, of the men, of him and his men, were all taken prisoner. And everything taken away when they came back from a rendezvous, a trip they were on. It says David's men wanted to stone him. That's how upset they were with him. Because of what happened. And they were weeping and everything. It says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord. So, oh no. We're not going to panic here. We're going to call on the Lord. They called on the Lord. God gave them direction. They went and did what they had to do. And they brought them all back safe. All of them. Nobody perished. They didn't lose one of them. God was with them. God is with us. And so, this is how we have to look at our lives differently. Through the eyes of maturity. Through the eyes of faith. And interpret them in such. And so that, when things can look really bad. I can tell you that last night, things happened to Kate and I that were so dark, I can't even explain them to you today. And... And I can tell you that it looked like a catastrophe to our natural. It looked like a catastrophe was on our hands, and uh, we prayed. Others prayed with us, and uh, the catastrophe uh, was averted. That's what I mean when I say I feel like sometimes you're just a step away from death, literally. And so today. is another day where we look at how that trials are there for a reason. And either we can embrace them and trust God through them and pray and let the peace of God roll our heart or we can just stay where we are and push panic buttons of every kind and do desperate things. It says desperate people do desperate things in the world they say that. And we can do one desperate thing after another and never grow up. And just be that fat little baby like, like Amy Grant sang about. <laughs>
Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3. <clears throat> Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, and being humbled in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. The mindset of Jesus, Paul says, let that same mindset be in you. Again, when the Holy Spirit is leading, which way is the arrow pointing? This way. Again, the mindset of Jesus, how we interact with others, what our attitude is, Matter of fact, I think the King James Version said, Let the same attitude be in you that's in Christ Jesus. The attitude of Jesus, the mindset of Jesus, let that be in you. You see the attitude of Jesus when he was in that boat and the water was coming in. It was one of complete peace. What does a mature Christian look like? Looks like Jesus, looks like him. He didn't respond, as we talked about last week, according to the way he was treated. He loved his enemies, did good to those who do evil to him. We talked about that last week. But we would have even those of our own household, our own household, our spouse, our children, our parents, those that God brings into our life, our fellow workers, our neighbors. The attitude of Jesus looking at not only our own interests, but the interests of others. Giving of ourselves, laying down, of our, laying down our life. This is the way, again, the Holy Spirit is leading us to a mindset. And the mindset is the mindset of Jesus. The attitude of Jesus. It says, let that attitude be in you. We read earlier from Colossians, let the peace of God rule in your heart. And here's that word again. Let the mindset or the, uh, the attitude of Jesus be in us. Nothing done out of selfish ambition or pride can see. So we get down to verse 12. 
Therefore, my brothers, as you have always obeyed, not as, not as in my presence only, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and arguing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Paul poured out his life for his brethren. But he talks about something he calls us to do, and that is, he says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you. So it says God is at work in you, and he says work it out. What God has put in you, live. Live it out in your life. God is at work in us. All these things that He's calling us to be and to do and all the, all the things that are commanded in the Word of God. We only can do them as, a work, as a God works in us. God works it in us through His Holy Spirit. He's given us a new life. And it's not of ourselves. God is at work in you to do His will. We shouldn't fight Him. We shouldn't fight what He's doing in our life. Not short circuit, not get in the way of it. Because it could be a long and arduous process, very difficult if we do. So we should do everything without grumbling and complaining, without arguing and disputing with one another. Become blameless and har- innocent or harmless. Children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverted generation on whom, whom you shine as lights in the world. You are the light of the world. Jesus said that about Himself. He said, I am the light of the world. And then He said it to His disciples. You are the light of the world. The light of the world. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men. Maturity as a Christian. That's a light shining. Brightly. Not a mixed bag when people look at us. But a shining bright light. Not a light that's blinking on and off. But a bright light in the lighthouse. Let your light so shine before men. They see the peace we have when we're being tested. They see us becoming like Jesus. They see that we have the attitude, the mindset of Jesus. We live like Jesus. First John it says that those who say that they know him 
should live as Jesus lived. Wow. That's a tall order. That's maturity. And that's God working in us. It's not us taking credit. That's God at work in us. That's God working it in us. We're just living out what He's put in us. He says, work it out what He's put in us. Live it out. With fear and trembling. Because God is at work in us. This is something that we should respect this process. With fear and trembling because God is at work in us. That's why Paul says it that way. Work out our own salvation with fear and trembling because God is at work in us. The living God who made heaven and earth is at work in our life and He lives in us and He's put His divine nature in us, His Holy Spirit in us. And we should have great respect for what He's doing in us. And live it out. <clears throat> Philippians 3 3. We are the circumcision. We worship God in the Spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus. And have no confidence in the flesh. We have no confidence in ourselves. We are the people of God. Those who are in Christ, who worship God in the Spirit, in the heart. Jesus said, those who worship God must worship Him in spirit and in truth. That we rejoice in Christ Jesus, and we have no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in what we see, what we hear, our own abilities, the abilities of others of human nature. Our confidence is not in the flesh. Our confidence is in the God who made heaven and earth. That we should trust not in ourselves, but God who raises the dead. That's maturity as a Christian. You see Jesus walking through His life And he, you see his maturity. You see his maturity as the Son of God, Son of Man. And we can say, oh, well, he's, he's God. But the Bible says that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in us. The Spirit of God that came into Jesus came upon Jesus is in us. So, we can have a great rejoicing in the new birth and all that it means to us and all the potential that's there. And I say the word potential because, again, 
It's up to us to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit as He leads us and guides us. And if we don't, we may see some of these cycles over and over and over again that God is using to bring us to maturity. And if we resist the Spirit, that's something that we're not going to grow from. So, how do we look at our life today? From top to bottom, start naming in your mind all the things that have made us anxious and troubled lately. This week, even this morning when we get up out of bed. Yeah, those are the things that are in our lives that God is putting our finger on, is putting His finger on every day and saying, I want to use this in your life to grow you up. How is it that George Mueller was able to have nothing and have all these orphans to take care of and have no food to set on the table one day? And he was in peace. And he told his fellow workers, set out the plates and all the utensils and let's pray. And all these orphans are sitting there around the table in this orphan house. And they prayed. There's a knock on the door. The baker's wagon had broken down in the street out in front of this orphan house. And he knocked on the door and said, I can't deliver my bread. He said, I know this is an orphan house. Can you use some bread? Bring it in. <laughs> Now how was it that he was in peace? How was it that he was in peace when he went on a missionary journey to other countries in a ship? And he left his son-in-law in charge. And yet they were still living from day to day and had several orphan houses at that time and a lot more orphans than that last story. And he talked about being on the ship and he says, even though I'm far away, from all this, he says, I'm in complete peace. That kind of stuff just doesn't happen. That's maturity. That's looking at the storms of life and getting up and saying, peace be still to our hearts and letting the peace of God, let there be stillness and peace in our hearts. The Bible says that we who believe God enter His rest. And that we should be diligent to enter that rest. Excuse me. Time to grow up. To press on to maturity. To be what God wants us to be. And George Mueller said, all those things that we put our fingers on that made us anxious this week, and every week, and all those things that are pressing on us and troubling us and making us anxious or depressed or discouraged. He says we got to look at that as the food of our faith. Embrace it. But Peter said that the testing of our faith, that's more precious than gold that perishes. Though be tested by, tried by fire, <clears throat> that it will, <clears throat> that through that will be complete and will be to the praise and glory 
I honor the coming of Jesus. You know, I bet some of us didn't look at our problems this week as more precious than gold that perishes. Why? Because it's not natural to look at it that way. But God has not called us to a natural life. He's called us to a new life. And that life is not natural. It's life in the Holy Spirit. It's supernatural. And with the supernatural life, with a new man, comes a new mindset. The attitude of Jesus. The mind of Jesus. That's what it is. <clears throat> I'm going to stop with that. If any brothers... Well, first, Dan, I want you to uh, share something. And then if any, any other brothers will give you time to, to comment on anything we've talked about. I want to open it up for you, Dan. I can just share a few things. Please do. First of all, I want to say I'm extremely thankful for what you shared. It is really the crux of the gospel. Um, you have to speak up. Huh? You have to speak up. Uh, I have to speak up. <laughs> I'm very thankful for what was shared. It is really the crux of the gospel, and uh, my hunger and thirst for maturity has increased. And I, I mean, not that I haven't been interested in that, but it's very important that we understand that Salvation doesn't only consist of being forgiven for our sins. It is to help us, to get us a beginning by being reconciled to God. Like it says in Colossians chapter 2. Uh, I'm sorry, not Colossians chapter 2 chapter 1. Uh, I have to find the right verse here. In verse 21, it says, And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now have he reconciled and that, I guess, includes all of us that were, we were all, until we were truly converted and reconciled, we were enemies. And it says he did that. He reconciled us in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. And that's that maturity that Ron was talking about. Uh, I'm not there yet. But I believe God can bring me there. To that perfection. Or maturity. To me, perfection and maturity mean the same thing. That's why it's interchangeable in the translations. But it says something further here. If you continue in the faith, 
grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. The hope of the gospel is to be understood by maturity. That's my hope, is to become come to maturity. Um, and when people come into trials and tribulations and testings, that it's, it can be so uh, difficult in the trial that we can lose heart and lose faith, uh, faith for ourselves, lose faith for ourselves. Do you, do you experience that sometimes, to kind of lose faith for yourself? It just ain't working for me. It's just not, uh, I'm too horrible, too horrible. It's not going to go for me. We mustn't, if feelings like that come, we mustn't accept that as my, my uh, fate, I would say. But another word, another word I want to share is in Peter. Uh, chapter, First Peter, First Peter four. In verse seventeen, it says, "For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God." I think a good example of, you could say. A, a similar kind of thing that Jesus, when he went into the <coughs> temple and he took cords and made a whip and he chased all the money changers and the animals and everything out and he said, my house is to be a house of prayer and you have made it a den of thieves. But I believe that judgment comes into my house. When I present myself to Jesus to be his disciple, then he starts cleaning me up. And that don't always, well, I guess it never really feels good. <laughs> it never really feels good. So, uh, and he brings, a, he brings situations to expose us for what we are. And that don't feel good when we see what we are. And uh, also in Hebrews chapter 12. Chapter 12? Chapter 12, yeah. Hebrews chapter 12, and I'll, I'll start with that one. Uh, he says here, <coughs> verse 6, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourges every son whom he receiveth. Well, we as children are growing up when, when we got a spanking, that's the scourging, you know. It don't feel good. And we, we read something like that. But God does that. Uh, and it says, if we endure chastening, God dealeth with us, or dealeth with you as with sons, for what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if he be without chastisement, where of all are partakers, then 
are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh who cor which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection under the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chasten us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit. Now comes this, the answer for, or the reason for all this, that we might be partakers of his holiness. So I'm, I'm thankful for that. <clears throat> Although I, I'm a difficult person to deal with, but God hasn't given up on me, mm -hmm. and I'm thankful for that. So I just want to say thank you, Ron, Praise for Lord. sharing what you have, and thank you, brothers and sisters, if you want this, if you want to have this kind of life, then we all must endure the tasting. Amen. Amen.